this one this one was always funny to me because it was in every single one of my lcs contracts it's like you must not present yourself as naked in any photo <laughs> and any video and I, I thought that was always so funny because it's okay. like that's why do you have to have that on a contract but it was very it was blatantly on there it says you are not allowed to be nude on any photography no video like no um, no softcore yeah. no hardcore no nothing yeah it's exactly not, it's, yeah. It, i thought that was really funny uh What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Salt Mine. We are back for a quick little off-season update before we get into the roster breakdowns for 2024. My name's Gordo. I am joined, as always, by TDS and by special guest, North American Challengers League veteran, LCS veteran, Academy veteran, Proving Grounds qualifiers, Proving Grounds NACL qualifiers, and now, finally, NACL Alorum, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, man. I've been around the block a little bit, huh? The way you presented me. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, now yeah. that I think about it, right? I, I think you got to be like the only guy who's played in in all of those, right? I don't think the LCS is really the big one that like that sets it up from the bowl. Yeah, I, I even I even played in like the old NACS yeah. before it was Academy. Yeah, yeah like, I think I remember, like, I think you were part of one of the rosters in, I, I'm not sure if it was 2016, 2017, of one of the, maybe GCS, GCU, I think, uh, could have been called at the time. Uh, I, should, I need to go back, but I feel like I've seen you in one of those rosters. I was not on Gold Coin United. Oh, okay. Um, You're on I Team Gates, one, right? I was The original Gates. creator org. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, uh, I was Team Gates, and then, I guess before that, I was on Delta Fox since I had won the OQ with them. Mm. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, lot lot of history it's there. Cool. So you've been through pretty much every iteration of, of NA T3 and T2 that we've uh, we've had coming on through here. For anybody who's who's been under a rock who didn't tune into the uh, promotion tournament after our last episode, uh, Alorum did qualify for NACL for 2024 alongside Mirage Alliance. Uh, want to talk about that a little bit. Like, what's it like to uh, to finally requalify for T2? It's been a while. Uh, it's been since it was Academy, since you were in, right. in you know, the, the distinction between T2 and T3 has gotten blurrier over the years. But uh, since you've been kind of in the official T2 league, uh, I know you, you've spoken previously that, you know, it's not, it's not all about like one track, uh, you know, LCS or bust for you anymore. But uh, yeah. what, what's it like to be back at that at that T two level? Um, I knew, at least when they announced that they're going to be doing qualifiers for it and that they're going to be relegations and promotions, I knew it was only a matter of time before I made it back. Because like, I, I think it was kind of obvious. Like I'm at least tier two level, if not, you know tier one level at least i was in the past um and so once they once they announced that it's like oh well if you can qualify for the academy level play then yeah i'm gonna make it back there eventually if i wanted to so um being back in the tier two uh i mean it's felt like it was just inevitable <laughs> it was just going to happen um i'm not it's to me i'm not like oh finally like it's greatest day of my life and it's just like okay here's the competition i was playing in before and here i am playing again um you know i, I enjoy doing it so i just gonna keep doing it but uh 
Um, I think the only real surprise to me would be if I ever went back to LCS, but being back to tier two was no surprise to me. I'm kind of curious as well with the with how the promotion tournament went because obviously speaking about how like you requalified on the sound mind we did the predictions pretty much everyone was in the consensus that mirage alliance was going to qualify like that was the pretty consistent opinion here but i'm kind of curious with how the tournament went because everyone put your first hits we we thought you were going to qualify straight up nothing was nothing yeah. weird was going to happen and then it was at the last day nail biter after nail biter until you guys were able to qualify and i'm kind of curious how like the whole experience went by and how you saw the qualification of lit because i feel like that was a team nobody expected anything out of so i remember our uh, our matchup against lit uh, I think they had a really good read on the meta. I, I remember I had talked about this before. I don't remember who it was with, but they had they were doing extreme priority on Caitlyn, and we weren't at the time. And so we had just gotten smacked by Rockboot and Caitlyn multiple times in that series. And and coming into the next matches, we started doing the Caitlyn stuff, and it worked really well for us. Um, also, Dark and I have a really bad track history against uh, Dragoon Kizno. Um, <laughs> we, ne we can never seem to beat those guys. Um, Dragoon's Champel is very good into mine. Um, him, him and Quacker, like the Darius Olaf players, they have really good Champels into mine. And then I don't know what it is about Kizno. That once the Zenjao comes out, we're lost. Uh, but that, that roster, or at least that iteration, we had struggles with before because before it was lit, it was. Um, Oh man, it, well, uh, there was another roster. I can't remember what team it was. Well, they, they were they were Supernova it. before they were lit. If it's still Dragoon that's right. Kizno, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It was Supernova. We had lost to them in the previous, in the previous OQ as well. Um, and that's the one when we were on TFT, uh, with Red and um, mm -hmm. and so oh, yeah, and yeah, so we had lost a series against them too, and it's. We just can't weave those guys, <laughs> I guess. Um, but af afterwards, like, I, I don't think we played our best in the promotion series. I think we were doing really well. Um, I think our peak of that season was the second qualifier tournament where we had won, then we had went 5-0 in the Swiss bracket. Uh, and, you know, you just sometimes you have ups and downs. Um, it's hard. It's hard to say why exactly we we sometimes play poorly and there was a lot of the mirage alliance first game of the day because you know our players wake up too late kind of thing like sleepy boys yeah. um but yeah sometimes there's just ups and downs for it um but as for the lit series i think they just i think we got draft gapped every single game and then they showed us the way for how we should have drafted for the rest of the tournament yeah definitely maybe it had worked. some favorable drafts against the supernova series as well uh especially as you guys got towards the back half there so <laughs> All, all works out. All's well that ends well. That does that parlays into something else that you know, we're going to mix in. We're, we're going to talk with Alorum here about what's going on, but we're also going to mix in some of that off-season news uh, that we've gotten so far. One of those is going to be that uh, relegation uh, is is out the window once again, at least a little bit, as, as Supernova is coming right back into the league. Uh, they yeah. they now find themselves on their third owner in about a year. So f fun stuff going on over in the in the Supernova house. Uh, and they are coming back into the league with, with like a rumored pretty pretty strong roster. It's uh, I'm, I'm hearing new ownership brings with it some money. I'm hearing top five spenders at least 
in the league. I okay. here in top three a little bit, depending on here you who you talk to. Um, yeah, kind of open question here. Curious what folks are thinking about uh, Supernova getting back into the league here and uh, and and the roster they're sort of starting to build here a little bit. Not to get too deep into rosters, but uh, you know their situation all in all. Um, I mean, I think it's. I think it's pretty funny that this is like just the third time in, in a row. And some would say it's a little, a little weird that they're, you know, they get relegated and it's just, Oh, we're coming straight back rather than like, I guess um, some runner ups or, or people who've been around um, like, or actually maybe even one of the collegiate teams that have, that were doing really well, like Winthrop or something like that. Um, I don't hate it though. It's really not, I don't. I don't think it's like my concern as to who they let into the league. Like no matter who is in the league, I'm going to be playing against them um, uh, on the Mirage side. So yeah, they're back. I mean, they get relegated again, then we get the laugh again. I guess, <laughs> which would be very funny. Honestly, that would be the best, almost best case scenario is fourth, fourth time. Yeah, I do think I. I was super. Funny. I was pretty outspoken when they let. Even when they let like DSG in, that it's like ah, I I don't really love the precedent of just, of just giving away spots. This one mm-hmm. ostensibly a little bit more justifiable because Supernova was third in promotions, right? They lost to you guys yeah. in the final promotion matchup. That does place them third. Um, so yeah. I you know you could you could say that it was given out based on. Uh, Based on uh, that, they were the runner-up. Yeah, yeah. Based on yeah. promotion tournament. Now, it, if another creator org had rolled up and been like, "Hey, we want the spot," would, would they have just gotten it for free? Maybe, maybe not. You know, who who really knows? Um, but there, that's at least a little bit more justifiable. Uh, I don't know. What what are your thoughts, TDS? Well, we don't know if it was for free, right? Like, technically speaking, we don't know if DSG didn't pay any money. Oh, you think they're getting charged? Like, <laughs> maybe that maybe that was part of, of some deal or anything like that. I'm I'm not, like, to a certain degree so worried about the relegation or promotion part of it just because, like, my logic always falls behind the part of I want to see the rosters that they bring in, and if they still are willing to put in rosters that I'm willing to watch, then I'm fine with the with the orc staying. Now, hopefully, that orc also brings with them consistency, and they don't screw their players over, and they don't screw their NACN over. Like that's my particular logic behind it. Because what I want is development going forward, both in the players and in the organizations. And it doesn't really matter the name that is in front. It's more so how they manage things all around, especially with how the tier two is seen in an ace. Because it's been so completely hectic for so long, where you have the orcs forced to to have the rosters, then they're they they vote unanimously to drop the rosters or try and keep some things like that. You have to restructure everything, and for that, I think that you have to be a bit lax with how you manage certain things. Not necessarily in a lot of situations, but I do think that opening up a bit with how you manage uh, some orcs or some positions, I think it's fair enough, especially for this moment where there's still a bit of restructuring that needs to go forward. Also, with the LCS changing to eight teams, you have to keep on considering multiple things. So I think that as far as now, I'm fine with how they are doing. Now, the main question will be for moving forward into the second half of 2024 and then 2025 is, are they going to keep these sort of things up or are they going to keep on adding changes that become much more consistent and positive for the league? Yeah, that's a that's that's a big question as well. And you do bring up the 
the consolidation of the LCS there, reducing down to eight teams. I, I think a big subject, I saw a lot of discussion on like Twitter or Reddit that's like, man, the NACL is going to be so stacked this season because of those teams disbanding. I think, you know, we've seen a little bit of that. Like, I think it uh, it's DSG, right, that's running the Surdy Perry roster. Yeah. Uh, at, at least no, rumored. it's FlyQuest. Oh, FlyQuest. Uh, yeah, FlyQuest is running. Is FlyQuest, You're yeah. completely correct. Surdy is running. DSG uh, is tenacity. Yeah, DSG yep. is tenacity. Yeah, so it looks like... Uh, yeah, so they're they're running Surdy Shaden on FlyQuest. You are correct. Yeah. Um, this is what I get for not, uh, not doing all my preseason roster notes yet. So other than what appears to have been like the bones of the Evil Geniuses roster going over to Fly Challengers... Uh, it doesn't seem like we're likely to get a big influx of like all those names. Like, I don't think we're going to see Licorice. I don't think we're going to see Stixay. I don't think we're going to see Revenge. Um, I, I think other than the like rookies or near rookies from the LCS, I think most of them seem to be taking a buy on NACL, which which I think is fine. Um, yeah. What I think is the what what's I I think is the bigger difference maker coming into this off season is. Uh, the substitutes coming back, right? Like we got Jenkins coming back. We've got a Ray coming back. These guys were on, uh, on substitute contracts for the back half of 2023 and now are going to be kind of returning to the league here in, in one form or another, at least they're rumored to be, uh, Jenkins is confirmed. Now he's going to be on TL challengers. I think array is still a rumor if I'm not mistaken, yeah. but definitely seems like we're, we're getting some, some folks back in, uh, I, I have a take here, but I, I, I want to hear your guys' thoughts. On the substitute players? Yeah, just like in, in the the kind of effect that some consolidation or that some changes in the LCS have had on the makeup of the NACL. Um, well, I think, uh, especially for players who have been in the LCS for a long time, if they don't get an opportunity, they might just do something similar to what Whippo did, which is just turn on your stream a bunch over the offseason, or at least that's what I think a lot of them should do. Uh, I don't I don't really agree with if you at least if you still want to be a competitive player, just taking like six months off of league entirely. I think you should always at least be keeping up. But um, for the bigger players, uh, such as Licorice, who've been in the LCS for so long, there's a good chance that he doesn't want to play in NACL as um, I'm sure I'm sure, you know, obviously he can't be paid as much in the NACL and that's a pretty big factor to a lot of players is how much they can be paid and so for him he since he's probably made a decent amount over the years it's probably okay like yeah I can just be unemployed for another for like half a year and then see on the next uh next time there are roster swaps if he can get on an LCS roster um I, I'd say that's pretty normal like that's happened many many different times with yeah people have, haven't made an LCS roster they just take like a gap split and then come back so I'm kind of curious with this because this is something I've, I, I do agree with the licorice take, by the way, I think that more than likely these players are, are not the ones that we're going to see going down to NCL, especially because the stock from licorice, the risk with that is that his stock may fall down if he doesn't perform up to par in the NCL. Right. Not saying that he can, right? But like the, we've seen this happen where players simply maybe because of the motivation or something like that, they don't really perform to the level that you expect. And that may take a hit and onto their stock. But I'm also kind of curious because I brought this idea before when talking about like players that maybe aren't 
uh, in the best spot right or doesn't have team right now that they can look into that can be competitive and it's looking at the two regions below na which are lla and br and civil well but it's brazil so br and i've i've brought the I, i've brought the the opinion that uh, latam and cv law even if they are trying to make their fan bases big and all that particularly uh, civil law i think there's a space for any players that are good enough to go down there and i always make the same like the same point you can be a top player in those two regions because the level is not that high like and and, th and this as someone that is part of the region so i can kind of shit talk my own region to a certain degree like we are not that good that's a reality we import the washed out korean pros and they still stomp our region and that's not a good look but um, it's kind of like to me it, it's an opportunity that i feel like any players could try and look into because one of the big big things that any arcs do look at even if uh, the player is from an a or from anywhere is if you perform at worlds and pretty much right. latam and brazil gives you a free open spot for worlds at this point like yes you may get eliminated at one point but the important part is showing your level at Worlds. And I think that that's something that NA players could look into. And I'm kind of interested in, in maybe why the reasoning for some NA players not to go to Brazil or to Latam could be. Because I feel like if we're importing players like ADD from Korea, I'd be more willing to see someone like Licorice that is better than ADD in all uh, accounts, go to Latam, win there, push try and maybe push the region a bit forward thanks to having someone of his caliber playing there and then show himself in Worlds because I'm pretty sure that no one in Latin will be able to face Licorice even if he's taking an off year. Like, it's just simply the level that they are right now. So I actually, uh, when I first got out of LCS and this was like um, during Proving Grounds or some, something like 2021, uh, I, I was talking to someone about uh, joining an LLA, uh, LLA team um, but the thing is, is, and you're saying like, why, why wouldn't you go over there? Right. It's to show yourself at worlds. Um, you really only want to go there if you're absolutely sure you're getting on like a best roster. Is that at yeah. least the, who I was talking to, this is what they're saying is like, if you're going to a minor region, you better make sure that the team you're going to is like top two in the region already, yeah, exactly. even before, even before you arrive there. And if you and you're re, you're replacing someone, and theoretically that's bringing them from, you know, it, hypothetically if they were ranked two, that they, they would be number one in the region. That would be the only reason why. And it was also very similar to when I was talking to teams in the NLC ERL uh, mm -hmm. around the same time. It's it's only worth it for someone that was in the LCS to go to an ERL if they're making EU Masters. So. Okay. If you're offered it, so if those top one or two teams of the regions aren't open to new players and you're getting offers from like the middle of the pack teams, uh, I was advised to not take those offers or risk that, yeah. um, risk that chance of you bringing a mid tier roster to world's love, uh, world's qualification. Because by chance, if you don't, then everybody's going to be like, oh, he went to a minor region just to stay in the middle of the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, overall, that's true. Like, I, I, I would call that, like, I had to put up uh, an example to that. I would say it's what Summit did this season, where mm -hmm. he go to pretty much the number one team that already qualified for Worlds. He got into the spot that he's replacing pretty much one of the worst of laners at Worlds, but was one of the very best in the region, which was yeah. wrong. There's a lot of teams around it, right? But, yeah. like, that was the best possible outcome for Summit because he's just going in for a spot that he can 
cover completely fine. And then he's going to pretty much be the number one team in the region uh, yeah. as well. So uh, I, I do agree with your point. Like it should be around that level. Uh, and if you get onto that, like it's pretty easy to qualify after that point. Because if you get onto the top one, two team, the difference between them and the rest is just so abysmal. Like there's yeah. legitimately just player div can really win you the tournament. Yeah. I do wonder if that, that like, uh, because that's something we saw, like, Cody's son went to LFL, right, and was uh, yep. on a 10th place team there. And I, I do wonder if that maybe contributed a little bit towards, uh, if if uh, if there's another world where maybe he's more successful, if that leads to more North American players trying to go and play in ERLs and stuff, which is, I feel like, is always at the back of everyone's minds. I know ever since he left NA, Peter Dunn has been a big advocate for that. And very few, if anybody, has really taken them up on it. Um you know, Griffin's gone over to, to LCKC all and stuff like that. But other yeah. than that, well, like... it, it's, you know, I've, I've seen this a lot, like Jack and Peter. It's just, why don't NA players just play in ERL? It's really not that easy. Yeah, it's moving I, to I Europe, spoke, right? <laughs> I it, That on top of, I spoke to so many, I spoke to a lot of ERL teams um, when I first left LCS. So, so in 2021, and there were only a few of them that are actually that interested like even though I, at the time I would de certainly be one of the best top laners in their leagues, um, it's hard for an ERL team to justify bringing over like a, a North American player because one, you, they're gonna have to go through all of these visa process, right? Which mm -hmm. is a huge pain in the ass for a lot of these ERL teams. Um, if you're not like Carmine Corp or you know one of the huge ones, um, and then two, they they have. A lot of talent like within their own region and so if you're in the french league there's a very high chance they're just gonna look for a french player when i was talking to uh rogue ago rogue the uh mm -hmm. the academy team of rogue um that that was the season after they had one eu masters i was talking to their coach sharks who's the coach for FlyQuest now mm -hmm. i actually he's swapped teams immortals now I think right it's immortals Immort yeah he's yeah immortals. immortals so i was talking to sharks and then and they were actually, yeah, yeah, like maybe we consider you for top lane. And then one day it's like, oh, we found a native Polish top laner. So never mind. Um, it's like if they find a native player that belongs to their region, it's just that that much better for them. So it, it's really hard for, I think it's not as easy as Peter or Jack make it sound this, oh, go over to an ERL and practice there. It'd be so good for you. And even with my benefit, of having, I, I'm a European citizen. Like I, I have a, I'm a, I'm an Irish citizen. So, it, they, I wouldn't even have to qualify for like a work visa or anything. I could just go over there and do it. And even with that benefit, it was still, just, not. It was really hard to find one. And if I did find one, it was like, okay, well, we can't pay you because we're going to be paying your living expenses here, and so you'll just be coming here to play, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing I'm, I'm guessing that was part of like a big problem with the EU players taking any players, particularly I, I would say NA like ex NALCS players, uh, particularly just because I do still think maybe the salary was a big factor onto it, right? Like your salary probably was going to be way higher than just taking one random solo queue guy and, and just paying him who knows what, like. I remember well, or, or, or I guess you get offered nothing and you say no, right? A signed yeah, t-shirt, 50 euros, and that's it. Like, you can go for yeah, that, and they will take it, right? So, yeah, but, I feel like that difference also affects, and, yeah, it's, and it's difficult. It's because they, they just can't really pay you much. A lot of these ERL, yeah. ERL teams have very little funding, and then the funding that they do have would be go to making sure you can live there and rather yeah. than be your, you know, your payment.
Yep. Like it has to be, it has to be worth to a certain degree. And I, I do agree. Like it's not as easy as they paint it. I feel like it's better to try and show yourself at Worlds if you can accomplish that or at a team that already can showcase your level. But like you're pointing out, like it's not just a straight up go there and you win. Like you have to, at the very least, have a plan behind it to try and come back. Right. I think that makes sense. Uh, on the, on that same note, right, with the with the turnover coming on, and you you referred to it a little bit there, TDS. I I do wonder, you know, we talked about how XLCS players, you know, can afford to take some time off, you know, the the kind that Whippo did. I I'm gonna recycle some tweets from a little bit ago. I I do wonder, uh, with with this makes six rumored LC, not even rumored. Now they're all confirmed. Six LCS players for 2024 who did not play any comp in summer 2023. I, I do wonder if there's a conversation to be had about whether LCS doesn't put enough emphasis on continuity of play. Um, and I'm I, curious on, you know, perspective of somebody now moving into Tier 2. Is it is there a degree of frustration as a player in Tier 2 that the recruiting isn't coming from Tier 2? And, you know, I'm sure importing contributes to this as well, but also towards just picking up players who've just been on break or anything like that. It's like, how do you compete, right, with with the idea of Whippo when you haven't really, uh, when he hasn't really been playing, right? So everybody's just thinking mm -hmm. about when the last time they saw him. Um, I think, well, I think that when it comes to, especially like, uh, like older veteran players that just get picked up out of, no, you know, out of nowhere, they were on break and then it's so like, okay, let's bring them back. I think there's a very long trend that every single one of those players that gets that kind of opportunity, they've been to worlds before. Mm -hmm. um, you saw it with Solo, you saw it with Ignar, you saw it with uh, with Whippo, you even saw it with Hanser. All of those players have had world, like they took one or multiple splits off, but they've all been to worlds before, right? And they've and they've had what, however you think their performance was, they they've had okay okay uh, showings. And so I think a lot of these uh, teams that pick up players like that, um, it's just oh they've had a world's they've had a world's position they didn't bomb out all right let's just get them rather than you know going going for someone in tier two. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say like one of the only exceptions was Dokla, but Dokla also Dokla worked really hard like yeah. he was like in Dokla CQ was a tier two promotion yeah. for sure. Yeah, Do Dokla I'd say is one of the only exceptions where he like grinded his ass off in CQ and. He played amateur tournaments. He didn't take a break. You know, he, he yeah. kept going until okay. he made it back. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious with the players now that I like looking into it a bit more, right? Because we talk about players that have played at Worlds. And I'm kind of curious if teams right now, because I don't want to blame everything at teams being negligent or not like wanting to look into scouting for these players to give the potential i'm kind of curious if the obviously there always have to be something behind the scenes that teams don't or people don't actually get to see like teams obviously operate in a way that has to make sense for them i don't follow their set their logic i cannot go really deep into it i don't think their logic makes sense to me but it has to make sense in some way for them and i'm kind of curious if a lot of their signings right now come with a uh, with some thought that Maybe the LCS will not last long enough, so they need to reap rewards right now. And taking players with more tenure gives them that sort of opportunity instead of developing them. I'm kind of curious if that could be a reasoning behind it, for example. So um, a lot of play, it's not just the teams, but very often when you're thinking of rosters, um, I, 
I guess it depends on which LCS team you're on, but they will go to the players and ask them, Hey, what do you think about this player? You know, would you, would you want to play with him on a team? Um, And more often than not, the, the players on the team will almost 90% of the time want to go toward a player that is verifiably good. Like they've seen them before they've played well because they're not just thinking about, okay, is this player good? Is he going to play well on in his role? They're thinking about, okay, if he plays, if I take a chance on someone that's new that I don't know is verifiably good, that in return makes me look worse too. Because if yeah. everyone is doing worse, then, then you know, that's just, it makes everybody look bad. Yep. And so more often than not, if you, if you asked a player, it would be, oh yeah, I, uh, I just want all the verifiably good uh, players on my team, even if they're all, you know, extreme veterans, they've been around for a very long time, because then it's a a lot safer, a lot less stress on their back of, oh, if, if the team looks bad because of this one player, then, then I'm going to look bad. Um, So it's just a matter of like, who's willing to take risks. And I think actually players are less willing to take risks on their roster than an org is. The org really has to be the one to, push like we need to take a risk here so actually and that, thinking about it is like potentially one perfect example for that could be 100 thibs right in the last year with double if on the i think it was the roster before that was the bjergsen uh summit closer double lift and i don't remember Someday. if their support was busho well, no so- about the support i don't remember who their support was if it was busho are we talking about in spring that- or yeah, because I don't remember in spring when it was Buzi, in spring it was tenacity Buzio with closer beers to double lift. Okay, yeah, so that was a roster mix with both uh, proven and unproven players, right? And then for uh, summer they went for even more unproven players because they took quad, they took quit, quit. Uh, they took they had quad in the mid lane. They were with still with Bushio, so you could technically say he was a bit more proven. And then you have closer that was proven, and for top lane it was summit again. Someday. Or Sunday, yeah, sorry, yep. Sunday. So I'm kind of curious if that could be a really good example of what you're talking about, where there was attempt at taking risks, but also attempt at trying to not be, like, to, to, to be as safe as possible with some of those players. And it kind of backfired to a certain degree for 100 thieves in that sense. I yeah, so. I mean, yeah, there, I, I think everybody usually would come to the conclusion that a mix of a mix of both is what they want. Is like they want some new rookie and then you know he's surrounded by veterans uh what whether how many of them you want you could say like four veterans and one rookie or three and two i i guess it just depends on who you're talking about because sometimes there are like really insane rookies that are just like yeah that that he's him you know he's gonna do really well um it it changes from from player to player but yeah i'd say still most of the time if you ask a player they're like yeah give me someone who's not new Mm. Well, it makes sense. Like, I hate the narrative that you, like, if a player didn't perform the year before, even though he's proven, right? Like, if he doesn't perform for one split, uh, not even a year, for one split, he's already not going to perform again. And then you have to look into a rookie to replace him. Like, people don't understand that this is not how, even in most traditional sports, you would be laughed at for thinking that a a veteran will not work out for more than one season, just because he didn't perform that one, that one particular time. And then looking at the rookies, right? Like in league of even looking at just only league of legends history, the, the team that I can remember the most for having five rookies that worked out immediately as soon as they came out the, of the gate was Griffin. 
Yeah, and I was about even to say then, <laughs> yeah, even then they had sword that it doesn't count as a rookie because he was coming up a playing sure, already but... for a bit of time in, in the in the CL, what was a CL at the time. So it's not true five rookies. It's a, it's rookies and then a team that makes sense cohesively. But I feel like you have to have veterans to ra- to round up our, the right rookies, and it happens in a lot of sports. Like the rookie has to be great. Don't get me wrong. The rookie can be great, but you have to have a team that makes sense around him also to bring out his potential. And people just want to see rookies because, yes. I think that's fair. I, I want to get back towards uh, offseason a little bit here just to chat about some of the other uh, things that we've seen coming on in uh, with our with our little time off here before we get back into NACL. One thing is offseason champs queue has come on back here. Uh, it's on the preseason patch. I see you've been playing in there a little bit of Lorem. Curious to hear about kind of firsthand thoughts on exactly uh, what impact that kind of has on, on the practice environment. How useful is it really? I think a lot of uh, lay people, you know, the benefits seem obvious. And I, I think, you know, I, I tend to agree with that as well. But I've heard compelling arguments that, you know, the, the wait times are miserable and the queue system is bad and uh, the, the the presence of comms and just the way it's set up can can have a negative impact on certain practice styles. Where, where do you kind of fall in that department? Oh, man, that's a it's a lot. Uh, I'd say, you know, th- this version of C- CQ that we're talking about, I'd say this is like advanced PBE. The current yeah. uh, CQ. This is this is more like advanced PBE. Like you, get, you're playing the new patch. There's no prizes, right? You can be rank one. It won't matter. Like you're not getting any money. You're not getting a prize. Um, this is purely for trying out the new stuff and maybe like you give feedback to Riot or something like that. Um, or at least they're watching the CQ games, and they'll they'll take uh, the balance off that. See, maybe the initial patch of season 14 will be more balanced around pro play since they have like a better idea of like uh, how it looks in pro play now that they have this version as for past versions of CQ, like with prizes and it's all an LA server. I think that's really cool. Although for me, you know, I, I'm really annoyed because by the time they came out with CQ, I had already moved back to the East coast <laughs> and like, that's you know, I had, I had just got kicked off immortals. Right. I moved back to, I moved back to Georgia and then lo and behold, here's champions Q $20,000 first place. And I'm like, man, cause I get like 90 ping and in Georgia. And, and I'm like, well, this is really terrible for all of us on the East coast. And even with that, you know, there were a lot of people who didn't play, who didn't play on the West coast. Like they were just like, uh, whatever. Um, and, and that's because what you're saying is like, there's comms and the Q system is quote unquote bad. I don't think the Q system is bad. Like it's literally, as simple as you go to champions queue, you go to queue and you press queue. Yeah. It's um, a discord bot, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really not. They, I would not ever say that the queue is bad, but what you did, what did happen um, and why people were getting less and less interested in CQ is because I guess who they let in it bothered some people that there, there were some infamous players that were in CQ that were not, up to the level that I'd say CQ was uh, theorized to be like some of the Latin American players, like, especially from the lower level ones, um, some of like the lower level tier, like, you know, you had to be top 16 and the OQs and a NACL or yeah. the uh, PG OQ. And so the, even 
the bottom 16, like the bottom 16th team, that meant they were able to play, right? And most of the time they weren't that good, especially compared to the LCS players. So what happens is like an LCS player who doesn't like someone, they'll they'll see them in queue. It's like, oh, well, I don't want to queue up now. Hmm. And so I think I think that just kind of trickled to a lot of the other players. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to play with that guy because he ran down my game. Um, as for me, I didn't play because I didn't play, I didn't want to play from East Coast 90 ping. I would have loved like right now if that you threw twenty thousand dollar prize and you know how it was ridiculous how much money they were giving away in CQ. If you put that in Chicago server, I would never would have stopped playing. But <laughs> I know I, I didn't even bother because I'm on the East Coast. And what what I thought came true is all the top ten, every single monetary winner of CQ, they were all West Coast players. No one from the East Coast had a chance to win because of just the, you know, you're playing against someone on five ping against 90 ping. Like, how could you possibly make top 10 that way? Um, hmm. But yeah, it, there, there were a couple of things. There were multiple reasons. And I, I'm not going to say that's an excuse as to not play CQ. I think CQ as a whole is a really good idea. It's just, you know, I, League of Legends players are kind of lazy and, and, and at their soul. At their so, core. Yeah, yeah, at their very core, it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't really want to do that. So unless someone is making them do it, they're like, nah, like, I'll just I'll just chill. Or, you know, after a day of scrims, do I want to go into comms again? Or do I want to chill with my boys in Discord and just play some solo queue in my own time? And a lot of the times that's going to be, yeah, why don't, why don't I just chill with my boys? <laughs> so this all that stuff adds up. So I'm kind of curious because you're bringing up the point, right, of someone forcing them to like have any orcs uh that you know or that you've worked with ever like thought into putting that into the contract for example like maybe not seek you but like with the amount of games you have to play or things like that right like force them into that sort of thing um no i've never seen that in a contract so i'm kind of curious because the limitations in those contracts always are big like i've heard multiple times that Players cannot go on motorcycles, cannot be, cannot drive to some uh, matches by themselves. They cannot take any sort of drink that is not seen by the team. Even they are enforced to for certain meals that have to be approved by their own teams to be even able to eat. So things like that are forced in football. And I know that also happens to a certain degree in NBA and NFL. Like they have right. to be there. There are things that are completely limited and, avo and voided by the teams. They cannot do that. And if not, uh, they are fine or things yeah. like that. But like you're forced into certain things. So I'm kind of surprised LCS teams don't like try this at the very least to see how the effect works. Um, so in an LCS contract, and this was at least all in my contracts um, from Optic, Immortal, Zyko Fox, they always had a clause in there that it was, they didn't, it wasn't like very specific. It was kind of vague of, hey, you you agree that you will perform to the best of your abilities and, and keep up with the game. Like, mm -hmm. you know, in paraphrasing, like you'll play the game, you'll keep up with it to the best of your abilities to perform the best on the team. Um, okay. Usually that's not, I guess it's hard to say how that's enforced because, you know, the orgs can't go into a mind of a player and like, let's say he's performing poorly. They're, they don't have, they're not, don't have the big boss sitting behind him forcing him you get on that keyboard and mouse and you play that solo queue game because like how you can only wonder how effective is that actually of forcing a player hey you must play a solo queue and we're and like we're gonna track every single time you do like because to a lot of people that's like well 
solo queue could sometimes be more like it might not even be efficient, right? What happens if you get into a game and someone runs it down and you have F15? Does that count as your checkbox for one solo queue game of the day? Or is like go again and make sure it's a real game? You can't really guarantee those things. Um, yeah. I guess as for things in an LCS contract that, you know, that you said to um, relate to real sports is like, um, we don't, we don't have anything like, you know, you, you watch what you, every drink that you take, but you know, th there was ones like, uh, you can't go on camera, um, with any brand other, unless we mm. say so specifically, okay, uh, yeah. it said don't, uh, th it was fun. This one was always funny to me because it was in every single one of my LCS contracts. It's like, you must not present yourself as naked in any photo and <laughs> any video. And I, I thought that was always so funny because it's okay. like, that's why do you have to have that on a contract? But it was very, it was blatantly on there. It says you are not allowed to be nude on any photography, no video, like no, um, no softcore, yeah. no hardcore, no nothing. Yeah, it's exactly. Not, yeah. It's, it, I thought that was really funny. Um, they they always had the ones about you know you're not allowed to do meth or cocaine or I'm like oh, okay, yeah, well, so like yeah. oh man, pretty straightforward. It's like, yeah, it's like man, you know you guys you can't got do me. anything. Like, I was. No, I was planning anymore. on smoking all my meth before math. <laughs> yeah, John wouldn't be a pro in in current League of Legends times, it seems. <laughs> but yeah, those those were all in my uh, all in the contracts. But there was never any, uh, you know, we're gonna have our our pit boss behind you forcing yeah. you to play solo queue games. That makes sense. I'm actually I'm actually kind of curious also talking about it, right? Like already the the like the situations with the players are kind of funny, but also having experienced like the time of the uh, as a pro player where you have been part of the or taken the critics from a lot of the fans and things like that. I'm kind of curious. It, it, what wouldn't it have been easier for like the pro LCS players? You don't have to have the best of practice, but like maybe for quote unquote show, like try and play the solo queue game so that you can save some phase at some point or where like people don't wouldn't care that much about it um it, it for me it's i can't empathize with that because i've always been yeah. very big on my solo queue games um like for me if i'm not challenger i'm mad you know mm. like it feels worse i feel like i look worse if i'm not in challenger at least you know i i like to sit in the top 50 of solo queue like at all times so if I fall the Grandmaster or like back then Master, I'm like grinding all day to get back to Challenger up 20 games a day until until I get back. For other players, it's like their LP ELO doesn't matter to them at all. But I know at least I know some people share very similar sentiments to me because I know Dardock feels the, the same way. The higher on the ladder he is, the better he feels about his own play. And that's exactly how I feel. Um, it just changes from player to player. Uh, and you can't say, hey, you're going to play better if you're higher on solo queue to anyone because that's just their, like how they feel personally. Um, and I, I can't. To me, it doesn't make sense. Um, at the same way, in the same way, I have been very critical, maybe not publicly, but I've been very critical to my friends and other esports players that above, about coaches in League of Legends who don't play at all. Mm. Um, okay. I, I'm pretty critical on coaches that especially positional coaches. If you're a positional coach and you're not playing the game at all, like you're sitting in your platinum solo queue games, like 10 games a season, I'm wondering how are you, how do you have a job? You're a positional coach. You're supposed to teach someone their position and you don't play, you don't keep up with the game yourself and mechanically. Um, I've been very critical. I, 
I won't name anybody, but I've, I've definitely had my shaking my fist in the air at, at certain coaches that I've just seen, like they get a coaching job because like they're an ex player and they just never play the game ever again. Yeah. Like I, I gotta admit, like at the time, even before I was a caster, I was looking into getting into coaching myself. Like I, I got through that and that was one of the big things like I remember thinking about and it's not so much as having to prove myself, but I feel like it, it is a factor for players uh, in a lot of, of moments. Like it stays on the back of the head for a lot of time. Like I have to get the respect in some way that the players would be willing to, to like follow me, right? Or follow yeah. what I said to them. And if I'm not high enough, like I, I don't, you don't have to be, I would say like the best player ever, right? You don't need to yeah. be high challenger, but at the very least, if you're really, really close to challenger, I would say right now it's Grandmaster. I won't I won't say right. you need to be Grandmaster number one, but you're close yeah. to qualifying for Challenger. I feel like that still brings some respect that the players would be willing to follow you. So yeah. I, I do get that point behind it. Exactly, because I, I can tell you as speaking from a player and when you know I, I've done some coaching myself, I know I would have loved it if my coach was also a Challenger player. It get and in my head, a lot of players in League of Legends, they have some ego right i don't think that's any secret um even you know especially a lot of the pros they have a little ego to them for if you put yourself in their shoes like they're a challenger player they're in the lcs like how much respect are they giving to like their coach who's like been playing in gold or silver for years right so true so i know when i was a player i would have i would have like wow you know this guy really knows what he's talking about like i play with this guy in solo queue like i so you can verifiably see if he's doing what he's talking about. If you can practice what you preach is what I really like mm. in a coach. Um, and that's why, at least for myself, I thought that was a big benefit of what my, of what I coached is that if I'm telling you something, it's because I've done it before too. And I can currently do it and put it into practice. And I think that's really important for a league coach. Yeah, I think that it can work like that pretty much works for a lot of the players and I, like thinking about like not only the coaches, but in general consensus for some of the players, I like something came up to my mind. And I'm kind of curious now that we have an ex player, we can actually ask this sort of things before behind the scenes. Well, well, how much you can talk is on you, but I'm kind of curious, do teams and players and coaches really let themselves be affected by the high men of Twitter ready takes? Like, do they actually get impacted by them? Or are they just taking, like, the the sort of comments that we read, we laugh at it, and then we continue with our lives? Um, I think it depends who it is. Like, there are a lot of players that are more sensitive than others. Um, I know for myself, I read I read every thread. I read every tweet. Like, but it, it doesn't matter to me. I think I think I'm more thick-skinned than some, some other players. And, you know, I kind of take it in stride. Like, why am I worried about what they're going to say, right? I'm just going to play my own game. But there are absolutely players that, that get affected by social media. And, you know, they, they need to deactivate their Twitter accounts or, uh, okay. you know, tell themselves they won't log into Reddit so they won't be tempted to click on a post-match thread. Um, you would see that very often. A lot of players would just not look at a post-match thread. I know, even, I know sometimes if I had a really bad game on an LCS stage or an Academy game, um, I just wouldn't look at the thread until like the next week. <laughs> um, yeah, that makes sense. Not at, not so much as it would like, oh, if I read those comments, it's like, you got to make me play worse. 
Um, but like, why would you like do I that to yourself? Yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. feel a need. I didn't feel a need to at the time. Exactly. Um, but you know, like I, I've been shit talked many, many times before. It's, it's no, you know, I've had bad games before, and I'm sure a lot of people weren't happy seeing me play that way. Um, but seeing like, oh yeah, Lorem just he played so shit here. Like this guy's awful. It's, well, I'm like whatever, man. <laughs> but some people would probably take that to heart. But it's whatever to me. Makes sense. I do want to chat a little bit while we're still on the subject of the off season. I do want to chat a little bit about uh, about Aegis Champs. Uh, by the way, congrats on uh, first team All Star top laner Alorum for for the previous ACL split. Uh, we'll see. I don't know how many I don't know how many different votes were cast there, but I know I contributed to that one a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, we kind of got flame for them, but we like, got flame for them, dude. It. Winthrop is yeah. real upset about, <laughs> about those. I think. <laughs> Artemis tweeted like uh, that that uh, that the results were ridiculous. I think Summer and Gabrielle were in chat asking for the 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 votes to be published. Where they're out for blood, man. They're, they're I don't know how many people voted. I know it wasn't just yeah. me and you, but they're they're hunting us down, dude. They're, I stand by my vote anyway. Like they can come at me, but I I will defend my votes at the. At, I have my vote somewhere. I'd have to I'd have to go and check. It's been so long since we voted. But that aside, um. Uh, really cool to have you in here in particular, Alarm, because you were in ACL from summer into fall. Um, so for anyone that's just here for NACL uh, or or even less, um, the Aegis Champions League was kind of an off-season Tier 3 tournament um, that uh, has been going on throughout the year. But for fall, this split in the off-season, it really blew up. Uh, we had representatives from... I mean, every NACL team, if you count substitutes, if you don't count substitutes, it was 9 out of 10. Uh, we would be missing Maryville. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was it was a really big tournament this time around. Mirage Alliance and managed to make top four. Uh, you guys were we, participants. and Gordo, we should have brought, like, the graphic that we had made where it was, like, uh, XLCS players, <laughs> yeah, world's the... participants, NACL, just like, to try and... that. That graphic was inaccurate like day two. It's fine. We can we could leave that one out of it. But so curious on like uh thoughts on ACL, particularly from like summer into fall and like how how different of a scene it was coming into uh this much like bigger, more competitive split. Um And you don't do you, you don't you have to sweet that... you don't have to sweet talk ACL just because TDS and I are here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. Yeah, um <laughs> Well, one, I, I think ACL was great. Uh, you know, we, we had won the one previous to this. Mm -hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't know what got into everybody. Like, all the uh, Tier 2 players were like, yeah, I do feel like playing a tournament. Because I feel like that doesn't happen very often where yeah. they're all just like, oh, yeah, let's let's group up and play. I don't know what happened. I can't tell you. I, I know for myself, I, all it was is someone at, or Norm asked, like, hey, we want to play an ACL? And all of us said, yes, you know, it, it, it wasn't even like we sought it out directly as players. We were just told about it. But I know for sure someone on the other players, like especially the more ragtag teams, they had to be sought out by other players. Um, it's it, I'm really trying to find like a reason as to why it's happening. I am too. Because, That's why I asked you. So <laughs> yeah. because I because in theory you'd think that less people would play because of all because LCS got lower amounts of uh, spots on it. Uh, the salaries for tier two have been going down ever since Academy. Although I, I will say for some reason, I think the salaries for tier two actually went up 
going into next split from um, summer which, to spring i have heard that as well yeah yeah um Wait, which really? i don't know how, okay. yes which i don't know I, how that's the case i think it's um, i blame i think it's mirage and supernova's fault like low-key uh, <laughs> is like, it our fault i don't oh, know yeah. I, I my understanding is that you guys are spending a little bit more but i i don't know i really need to get the context to for this like I, i'm stay i'm behind the game with this <laughs> sort of information see i don't know because i'm cheap man like i don't i'm not asking for, <laughs> i don't ask for much you know i i don't know my sources are unreliable to, so who's to say when 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 i ask for a salary from like a tier two team i'm asking just pay my rent you know and that's it i'm not asking for anything more so i'm i feel like i'm pretty cheap compared to what a lot of other people are asking did no one um, promise you one jersey as well in the process just like with one big camel in the center i don't have a jersey we don't have jerseys yet Ooh. um wait you're behind the game norm just in case if you guys are gonna make finals you need jerseys, to get jerseys yeah yeah exactly. we're gonna have to have them but um yeah i as for the ACL, I, I think I think it went great. Um, I, I'd say a lot of the team. I don't know if a lot of the teams were like us because on Mirage we didn't practice at all for it. We just went into every game raw. Um, I don't know what the other teams were like. I'm sure the collegiate teams were practicing together since they're guaranteed to be with each other for the next semester. Um, but in terms of like the level of play and the level of players, that was all really great. Uh, and. I can't tell if tier two is actually going to be stronger as a result of everyone trying in the off season two, uh, just because there are so many huge changes coming into season 14. But I mean, I, I'm all for that as someone who plays in every, pretty much every event ever since, you know, I started playing competitive league, whether that was an amateur before I went to the LCS or amateur after I went in the LCS, I compete in every event. Um, so that, that's just, you know, that's just me, but I'm glad that more people were like, yeah, let's, Let's play some games. Let's play competitive. Yeah, I I do remember that. So that's it's interesting that we still don't have an answer because I have I am curious as to kind of what changed in the in the scene to kind of transform it from summer into fall. Because in in summer especially, well, not in summer especially. I think it's gotten more competitive with each split. Um, but you know, even looking back as recently as summer, uh, you know that your your guys' opponents in the finals were Return of the Middle Sticks, who went two and three in OQs. Like it was. Uh, you know, there were a couple of OQ teams and then a lot of, like, Masters GM teams. Um, and, you know, it wasn't anything like it was this split. Uh, I, I remember having a conversation with uh, NA Amateur Pariah and, and uh, Capitalist King Prots from, from, from Team Ambition, uh, who... Um, of course. Yeah, I mean, that, not, that, not that his <laughs> word means much these days. But uh, I, I remember asking at the time, like... There's so many open qualifier teams that go like, you know, they form and they practice and they go, they go two and three or they go one and four. And then they just do all their players just play in nothing for other than solo queue for, for six plus weeks until the next open qualifier rolls around. And then they do it mm -hmm. again. And then they don't play again for months until the next season rolls around. Um, and, you know, I remember talking to him like, why are, why are these players and why do these teams not just come and join something like ACL? Um, and the, the, overriding opinion at the time was there's so many other low tier teams in this tournament that the practice just doesn't mean that much. Um, I see. And whether that has validity or not, it, it's crazy that we seem to have just like randomly springboarded past that by just everybody competitive joining all at the same time and somewhat eliminating that. Although it was a 32 team tournament, there were definitely some lower yeah. tier teams in there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you think that that, kind of affects the quality of the i mean surely it affects the quality of the games but does it 
affect the decision calculus around playing in in a tournament like this um i think the more good players that join the more other good players want to join it's very similar to cq actually <laughs> is that if you see if you see good players join all right let's let's go but if you like uh i think we in the finals of the previous acl we played against uh return of the middle sticks right yep which yep. which that roster quite frankly would not even be top eight of like the last acl mm -hmm. like they they would lose out pretty early so it, it very similar to cq it's just like if you see one if you see a bunch of good players join the the higher chance you're going to get the other good players on board is what i think all it is um although going to your point about like why do those teams that go like one four two three even zero five why don't they play in more of the amateur tournaments that aren't uh the oqs um i'm not really sure you know i i always thought that when i went pro the best thing you could do is take really small steps in your career like the better you do in these kind of things like the more chances you're going to get but I think a more modern view of how to go pro in League of Legends isn't the small steps that I took, you know, playing on one team, like didn't make it past the open qualifier, play on another team, get a little bit further, play on another. And eventually I qualified for OQ and went pro, right? But that's those small steps, I don't think are as relevant today because I think what everybody wants to do to go pro is I'm going to hit 1.8 KLP um, solo queue and you're going to catch the eye of some a current pro player. He's going to mention you to their manager. You'll get like into a combine or a tryout, and maybe you'll land in, in, into a spot on like one of the uh, high paying or more relevant teams like, you know, TLA or FlyQuest Academy currently, um, or a DSG. So I think that's the current popular way to go pro is how high in solo queue can I get? Hmm. Yeah, that was kind of like the path that somebody like Shaden took, really, to uh, yeah. right, yeah, to like exactly. end up on C9 Academy back when the Academy scene was was a little bit more robust, you know, when it had more yeah. than more than two to three teams to be named. Yeah. I'm thinking yeah. that was also Cryrus, bad like talking about players because Maybe. I Cryrus is someone that has been popping up in names for some of the teams, and I don't remember having seen him in any other place, like uh, apart right. from the he was Inter on, Combined. yeah, he was on that one. What was it? What were they? They were the Cheese Chasers, right? It was... Uh, okay. It was Scooped. It was Kryra, Scooped. Yeah, they and, had like um... Ninim on the bench too. It was a lot oh, of the okay. EG yeah, Combine yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it was right. a name Aoju, that popped right? up really out of nowhere in my eyes. So maybe that was what that is one of those examples where he got higher up in the ladder and they may be trying out after being the EG Combine and that he went a little bit farther into it. But mm -hmm. could be the case with some of those players. And I do think also like I'm not sure how much, but like even just getting guys, right? Like I'm not sure how much being on, on a on a streamer's game, for example, could be also helping you with that, right? Like if you're a high challenger and you end up in who's like I don't follow a lot of streamers recently that are in the, yeah, like Tyler, maybe double Tyler stream. one. No, you'd be on double if you can be on Quanta. Yeah, yeah some like double stream, right? Play. And maybe yeah. that that also like can bring eyes to you in some way. Like if you appear on oh, one of sure. those big streamers like games, maybe that helps a lot. So could be another route for some of these players. My theory originally with the ACL and the one that I feel like it's the most true, just thinking about how it kind of all went by, is that they saw the initial prize pool and they thought it was an easy tournament to win. And then as soon as other teams went by thinking with the same logic, the tournament got big enough that just strong teams kind of occurred. 
And that's why we had like the combination of weirder teams coming yeah, in. That is, and I feel like that was a lot. I, I do know of, I, I'm, I won't name names, but I do know of at least one team that was, was coming in that uh, ended up fielding a totally different roster than they originally intended to uh, because certain people got a little antsy about the quality of competition <laughs> so there's yeah. no, like oh man yeah there's <laughs> the big boys there's definitely boys a little came. bit of that going on here or there so fair enough fair enough um hopefully we get big enough so that the next tournament we get uh a, a tournament realm accounts and that way we don't have to make the big wait times and things like that and players can actually play on on the really good ping that true. would be even better true i try yeah, i was i I don't know what close means, but I did. I did get to have a source ask Whoopley for a, uh, a, a TR account to watch CQ with the salt mine, and we did not get one. So for oh, for those yeah, who want to riot, it. you know, go ahead and go and complain <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, we're already in an hour. I do want to talk about one more thing before we call it, and that is coming into next season. We have heard that there will be fearless draft in okay. NACL, and. Uh, do you want to hear like, some thoughts on, on Fearless Draft? I have some of my own opinions. I'd love to hear what you think, Alorum, as someone who's going to have to come in and play with it, especially as someone who's been you know playing under more traditional draft formats for forever. Um, I mean, I, I'm i not uh, opposed to it. I'm not even... But if you asked me, like, hey, do you want to do Fearless Draft? I I think I would say no purely off of, you know, off of, like, no, I don't want to change. Mm -hmm. but because if you forced it upon me like it's happening i'm not you know i'm not sweating it because maybe people would sweat if they had like smaller champ pools but i feel like i usually play a lot of different champions um so i don't think it's going to affect me that much and very often in these best of fives i end up playing four to you know three to five different champions in best of fives i i very rarely just stick to one character the whole time um i i can't tell you the general consensus of it i guess People, most people are like, cool. And I think in terms of viewership or like people who are looking on an outside, they're like sick, you know, because some complaints of competitive League of Legends is that you'll have too many runbacks of like the same champions. Um, if that helps the scene grow, then actually I'm all for it. Uh, but in terms of a pure competitive point of view, I'm not, I'm not like leaping for joy for Fearless Draft, but I'm also not, you know, disgusted by it. For me, it's just... Yeah, cool. Like I'll do that. Uh, it's not, it's not a big enough deal for me to complain about it. Um, although I, I do think it's, it's an overall win as long as it gets more people interested into the league. Yeah, I, I agree. The interest is going to be good. My, my kind of gripe with it is, uh, and, and maybe this is more conceptual than anything, uh, but the my, my kind of beef with it is that I don't like that it kind of removes the need to adapt to certain strats that your opponents are bringing right. out, right? Like, traditionally, right, if you, you come in to a day, you've got your, your bans prepped, you know, these are these are the things we need to ban against X team, and then X team brings out some strat you weren't prepared for, or they show more skill on, on a comp that you weren't expecting. And if, in the current world, now you need to adapt to that, right? At pro play, you need to, right. you need to change up your bans, you need to let something else yeah. through, you some know. pick order. Exactly. Yeah. But now you don't really have to do that. Now you get to just kind of go, whew, all right, well, we don't have to play that against that again. And, and now it's gone. Um, yeah. So, I mean, point. for that reason, if if we were trying to increase champion diversity, I almost wish that they would do like a like a rotation, like a standard, like just say like 
come into the split and be like, here, these are these are the 80 to 100, uh, 120, whatever, pick a number, right? These are the 80 champs that are going to be like in rotation for this split uh, and, and be like, you know, enough, everything else is disabled and then we'll we'll change out at random. Uh, and maybe, you know, yeah. maybe we'll do patches, right, where we'll we'll rotate in five champs, we'll rotate out five champs as the season goes on. Um, I'd like to see something like that to increase diversity just so that at least then, you know, it, it creates a unique meta. But I get it. I mean, people don't want to see the same yeah. champ over and over again. Yeah. And, and, you know, if, if it does have benefits to viewership, more power to it. And I don't know, if, if it continues to be popular, may, maybe it's just the future of Comp League one way or the other. Right. Now, now that um, you say that, I actually do think that the the level of play and the quality of the games is probably going to go down. That's what I've heard from um, people who watched LDL. Yeah. I have heard that LDL BO5s got real silly uh, as they started going uh, to game yeah. five. Uh, when yeah, I, I'm thinking like, it. oh, all of a sudden you can't form a coherent comp. You're just picking at, at some point, especially if it gets to game five, you're just picking champions you know how to play and that you're <laughs> confident in. Not that they necessarily work well together, it's just, it almost makes me think that things are kind of come down to as who got more lane counter picks in game five mm. rather than whose comp is built better. So is that the place where we finally see red side being like the most dominant side ever? Yeah, maybe finally it's red side meta. It's, it's all been <laughs> maybe, building up maybe. to this. So I'm kind of curious with the with the fear of this rap, not because I, I'm like I'm not against it. I like to see how things change up, especially because. And obviously, this is not to attack the NECL, but it's the secondary league, right? So if you want to test out things, test it out on the yeah, league that, that doesn't impact the 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 direction the worlds, direct yeah. pro play. Mm -hmm. So I'm also kind of in the side that yes, things may get a lot messy, but looking at it potentially for the future, and maybe this is more cope than anything else. Like I feel like giving players this sort of forced mentality to have to adapt to situations will also make them be more willing to adapt when looking at pro play, right? So I, I feel like that is one of the big issues right now with pro play. And it's not that players aren't like that players can't adapt, but that they are not willing to take that risk in some situations. And I feel like maybe forcing them from the roots can begin changing that sort of mindset when looking into pro play for someone, some top laner that comes in from the NECL forced into having to take more of a deep dive into their pool. And then you go into the the LCS and you're more willing to maybe look into a champion that you were never willing to because you were forced to when you started developing. I think that right. may be a, a more positive aspect. And if it works out in that way, I can see Fearless having even more of a positive impact into the future. Um, I think uh, that's funny because I guess now we're talking about two different ways of what we consider adapting. Because what yeah, Gordo okay. said is it reduces adapting because you're, let's say you played against a comp that you weren't ready for and that you can't beat. Well, the next yeah. game, you don't have to adapt to it because they can't play it anymore. Mm -hmm. But on the way you're saying is your way of saying adapting is having a deeper champion pool. They have to adapt to like, yeah, okay, they can't stay on two, diff two three different champions. They have to learn way more than that. Um, so yeah, I think there's like, the, the difference here. Like, just quickly, like, think that the yeah. difference here comes in because I feel like with Gordo's point, it's more focused on what happens deeply on the NACL, right? If it stays on the NACL square, like, there, the adapt adapting is not really the case. But mm -hmm. since the LCS for me is more so because I, I'm, if they go up to the LCS, that's not going to be the case. Like, they are going to be playing with the open format that right. the LCS okay. has. That's assuming okay. that, yeah, so, it doesn't, it doesn't continue yeah, to spread. 
uh, it's with the difference of where you're looking at from right like i'm looking more so on the let's say the the upper part of the of the stair where gordo is looking more so at the root part okay. of the nacl well okay. it also it is like a perspective thing too i do think yeah i yeah. think there's definitely something to be said that it's like because i do think i mean my critique is around this vision of draft that i don't think has ever really existed right where everybody's like a mastermind playing 5d chess you know constructing these really specific comps and you know making complete pivots the second they see a champion versus another champion whereas i my understanding at least is that a lot more drafts kind of play out a little bit more simply than that where it's like hey who do you feel comfortable playing here what works with the comp you know but you know nobody's very at least very few people are, are coming into their like what? Well, I don't think there's ever a, a like a true, like a, a true co or a true coach, you know, like a true like a true like draft mastermind just, coming yeah, in, like, like a doing coach what single handedly manages every exactly. Like, like nobody really plays like, like that. that so maybe so, maybe picking yeah, yeah. formats around that dream is just silly in the first place. And, and I, I don't yeah, even think I, I didn't do that. Like that. I <laughs> yeah. No, no, I I know when I coach too. Like I'm coaching in the way where I'm directing the flow of the draft more than hey we should pick this and this and this yeah it's a lot of i think the best way to draft is asking as a coach is you need to like ask questions and the big thing is is prepare players to answer them fast like my biggest pet peeve as a coach during draft is you know i'm i'm directing the flow of it and okay i know that we need to pick like let's say we need to pick a top laner on three or something on red side if i go okay hey top x top laner what do you want I don't want to hear like, uh, for like 30 seconds and then we get down to one second left and say, so, uh, give me Renekton. You know, I hated that. Yeah. I, I, I think a good coach is directing the flow in a way where you are, you ask a question very early on in the draft to the player you're directed to. And then, you know, you're forcing them to answer that question as soon as they can, like with what they know will work. Um, and obviously that comes with time, but. That's just that's just the way I think coaching drafting should yep. go. At I, least for me. Fun, funny enough, I actually think though, like uh, the, the the coolest application of fearless draft would be like that world where you have these mastermind <laughs> drafters doing everything right. Because like I think the cool like yeah. the the coolest interpretation of fearless draft would be like you know you have this this mastermind coach who's like. You know, oh, they 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 picked Kennen last game, so now Kennen's disabled. Uh, you know, so now now we know that that one's not available. So you know, we we ban you know, AP top laner ABC one two three. We we first pick Malphite, and it's Thanos now, right? Like all of a sudden, right. you know, yeah, yeah. totally okay. changing your champion priorities based on looking steps ahead. Uh, on what's disabled and what isn't and how that affects the champion pool. I just don't think anyone's going to do that, though. It's just not going to happen, yeah. right? No, <laughs> I, I don't think so either. Yeah, I, so, I don't think like, we've got light Yagami over exactly, here. Exactly. Like, like, nobody's going to do that. <laughs> so it's, I'm also kind of curious, actually, like looking into the Furnace Wrap, right? Because game quality may go down, but I'm kind of curious if that, if being more forced into being adept at a champion makes it so that people become a bit more mechanic intensive. Could, could that be another thing? Like maybe players become a bit more mechanically intensive and that also kind of boosts the map a bit, a little bit more. Yeah, I think so. Um, I know, I know I, I can think of a situation where, where you like people are going to start banning one player specifically in fearless draft to where they're going to choke out so much of their champ pool that they have to have something bigger. Like for example, let's say you had a, you had a, 
jungler who is a very big Kindred Graves like mm-hmm. player, right? You ban Kindred mm-hmm. Graves, okay? Then he picks Viego. Okay, now the next game, whether you won or lost, right? He can't pick that again. Ban Kindred yeah. Graves again. And technically, you have a third slotted ban of Viego. And then what happens if you just so like just keep going? I think yeah. I think there's going to be a strategy of you target one player the whole series and force them to go down this pipeline of good champions, okay champions, and like I'm going to lose us the game. <laughs> yeah. You end up and with a situation where he has to play like mal- malfighting the jungle because there's nothing. Yeah, exact, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like you're going to force him to like play something he's not used to and you're going to get wins off of abusing a one player. I think that would happen more often, Fearless. I, I think well, that's... that actually. Oh, sorry, Gordo. I, I was thinking because with the mind games, maybe they actually opt into playing the bad champion in a game that it's lost yeah. anyway or something like that. And then they play the good champion. They leave the good champion for game five. Like, could it be actually yeah. an angle for that? True. That's true. It, it's funny because that, that actually happened to me in Academy once. Um, I think I was on I was on Echo Fox and we were playing against TSM Academy. And, they, and so when we play, we were like 5P top that game. But I remember... They had banned Scion, Orn, uh, Yorick, uh, Urgot. The whole the whole and... Allure of Champion pool. This is yeah, probably pre on hit Nico days, York. right? It was it was New York, like the brand New York. <laughs> and I, I was the first person competitively to play Yorick, actually. Um and then they, they banned a fifth tank too. So they, they had put five bands on me and I just locked in Poppy and we won the game. <laughs> but <laughs> But it was that's that. funny because that has happened to me before. It's where you've had five bands target on on me, and then I was just thinking, you know, in in a context where if that was fearless and I I didn't play Poppy earlier, but like let's say I had, then I would have had six champions down the drain. I'm like, okay, like what else? Yeah, I'm just. I mean, by that I, point, you would have this nine. Hilarious. If by the time you're yeah, in the yeah, five game, nine, I'm thinking of this hilarious universe where you have five bands on one player, and you're on game five, so you can't play four of the champions you played previously. Yeah. So you have to go to your 10th place. You need to go champion. 10 champs deep now. Yeah, that's the rule. <laughs> yeah. But I, imagine the memes. Like, if you win with that, like... You yeah, if you win with that, like... you you have, like, the biggest champ. You're like, I'm the ocean. I'm Poseidon, right? Like <laughs> Yeah, you get the biggest, like, the biggest just... You can ban everything you want, but I'm still going to win against you. That's how bad you guys are. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's well, that so was, funny. That was a take I started hearing in certain circles uh, when... Because he's he's reversed course now and and posted the contract signing GIF, but there was a period of the off season where it sounded like Quacker uh, was not going was going to be teamless was not going to be playing in the NACL and he tweeted as such and I saw like right after that happened I saw the take floating around like they got think fearless draft killed Quacker's career a little bit (laughs) he can't. He's, he's only going to be able to play Olaf once a night. What do you I, I for do? one cannot wait for Darius to be out of the game after one game. Yeah, it's that's, like he... that's okay with me. I think there's a strategy too in a best of five because when we played against Supernova or when my team ever played against Quacker or Dragoon, we would ban Darius just on the one, two, three. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a strategy of letting Darius go first game and now it's your free ban for the next uh, games of the series. Yep. Um, so. So I think there's strategies behind that too, and the more we talk about it, the more like yeah, it's... I feel, I feel like it's like we're constructing that like it's become way more chess in the draft than it ever has been before. In theory, yeah, <laughs> assuming in that theory, everybody's willing to use it like that, yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanna, I just wanna get the chance to see the wacky drafts, and we get all LDL on on each of the players. I'm also <laughs> kind of curious, like before we we move on or we go into we'll close out after this. So yeah, else. go ahead. Yeah, so. whatever else we have left, like. 
I'm kind of curious how this affects the LPL now, because if I'm not wrong, like there's players that are going to go up from that LDL format in this. There must in be. This, yeah, I mean, they like, got 16 I, teams. I there's EDG, no way they're not promoting some of these seven yeah, year like, olds. Just, just for EDG, like I think EDG actually already is a team that that will promote like four out of the five academy players or something like that. So I'm kind of curious how the immediate impact will be on the LPL. Depending on how like how wacky it was and how many players got to play a lot of champions, so going to to put an eye on there because that may be a, an immediate reflection on what happens with the NACL. All right, might be. Um, oh. Yeah, I guess time will tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Should be soon enough. Well, we've gone a little longer than we expected to, so I think we can close on out there. Alorum, thanks so much for joining us, man. Uh, really appreciated having you on and hearing your insights. Uh, yeah, I, it sounds like an ACL interview now, which we did three of in two <laughs> weeks already. But uh, yeah, last word goes to you. Well, Anybody you want to shout out? Anything one. you want to say? Nah, thanks for having uh, having me. Um, I guess look forward to when eventually the Mirage announcement of our roster gets coming. It it'll, it should be coming soon. So see what we changed up. Good stuff. Good stuff. Looking forward to it. Also, and uh, we should get we should get Norm to to sponsor the show so that we put like the logo from Mirage Academy over here and we just put put biased opinions on each of the shows. Yeah, dude, what just, we think about Mirage? Let's Alliance. just sell out. Fuck it. I mean, <laughs> if they, I, I'm more, I'm more willing to sell out for a jersey and some like sponsors right here. Yeah, we need to know, be, fill up this, this for part up here. Yeah, we make it happen. <laughs> we need to have more recognition. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, we were, you know, you know, it's it used to be Team Ambition because we did their streams every oh, every true. split, and now they're, as, that's the second Team Ambition reference of this show, and now they're yeah they're down the tubes. So we'll see. But anyway, this has been the Salt Mine. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will be back in a couple of weeks once we know all the NACL rosters with our preseason breakdown. Uh, but until then, take it easy. Stay tuned to the Twitters for other NACL spoilers, and we'll see you guys next time.